0: Thanks, Todd. Good morning. Welcome to Soma Northwest. My name is Bobby, one of the pastors here. And um, if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. And you have come and caught us at the beginning of a new series um, that we are going to be going through here on Sunday mornings, but not just in our teaching on Sunday mornings, but in practice in our community. And the teaching centers around, this series centers around our emphasis this year, kind of connects to where we've been in our first year as a congregation, where we have been looking week after week after week and talking in our missional community groups and our discipleship groups, one-on-one conversations. We have been looking at this reality that we live in called the kingdom of God. And the way that we've been talking about the kingdom of God is this, that the kingdom of God is life with God under the rule of God. The kingdom of God is life with God under the rule of God. And it's not a life that was promised by Jesus to those in his day. And it's not a life that is promised to us of ease, of acceptance, of wealth, of likability, it's a life though that holds the promise of joy, that holds the promise of peace, that holds and Jesus' purity in this chaotic world that we live in. And Jesus' invitation when he came preaching and teaching the kingdom of God was to come and to follow him. Follow me. And what Jesus was inviting people to do was more than just to come and hear him teach occasionally and say, Jesus, I like that. I like what you're saying. I can get down with that. It was an invitation that was more than just meeting up with Jesus on the weekends to do some good things in the community. Jesus's invitation was to follow me to be my disciple, to be my disciple disciple. And what we are looking at this year is being a community of people who follow Jesus. And to put it in the language that we've been using, people who practice the way of Jesus. And we are defining that, the way of Jesus, in three parts. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, to be with Jesus, that we learn from him, that we talk with him, that we eat and we drink with him, that our lives are spent with an awareness of the presence that we just sang about, of Jesus' spirit living in us and with us, to become like him, to think like him, to see the world as he does, to act and to respond in in all of the different facets of our lives like Jesus responds, and to do what Jesus did, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to heal the sick, to help those who cannot help themselves. And what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, one of the things uh, that, that, that uh, we've been looking at is this idea that we are all people who are being shaped. None of us in this room arrived at this point in our lives completely on our own, right? We can we can all you know we can all agree with that. I hope that we are all people who have been, who are being, and who will be shaped by people, by places that we live and that we're a part of, by experiences, by ideas. But when we get down to the heart of the matter, what we're talking about in being followers and disciples of Jesus is that disciples of Jesus are people who are being shaped first and foremost by Jesus himself. That those other things mount because they are partings are important. Those other things need to be taken into account because they are part of who we are. But a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is a man, a woman, a boy, a girl who are being shaped first and foremost by Jesus. Last week, we started by looking at what does it mean to be with Jesus? And we talked about that being with Jesus is living in the reality of God's love for us by directing and redirecting our hearts to him. And some of the ways that we do that are through the scriptures, knowing what God says about himself, knowing what God says about us, knowing what God says about the world that we live in through prayer, acknowledging that God is at work that God has been at work, that God will continue to be at work and coming to him in prayer and saying, God, where do I enter into that work? What are you doing? And how am I a part of that? How can I think like you think? How can I have a heart for the things that you have a heart? on? How can I see relationships and experiences and situations through your eyes that we rest, that we fast, that we There are practices that help us be with Jesus. And this morning, we are going to look at becoming like Jesus. Being with Jesus, we become people like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus is the process of being transformed by Jesus in our whole person. It's the process of being transformed by Jesus in our whole person, our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, in our physical bodies, in the social context that God has placed us in. And we're going to unpack that here over the next few minutes. So would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3? This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3. If you are familiar with the book, with the letter by the Apostle Paul to a group of people living in the city of Philippi, you'll know that this is probably Paul's most personal letter. It's a letter that's filled with encouragement, with joy, with Paul's own personal story. 571, if you're using the blue, starting in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, and let me read starting in verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul begins this portion of his letter to these Christians, these followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi by calling out a reality that they were facing, which is a number of false teachers had moved into their community and were teaching them things contrary to what Paul had taught them. Namely, that to be a follower of Jesus, you needed to believe on Jesus, yes, But there were all kinds of other things that you had to do to become right with God. Specifically, you had to be circumcised. Which, if you know your Bible, you will know that in the Old Testament, that was a physical sign under the covenant that God made with the people of Israel that marked them as his people. So what these false teachers were doing Jews, they were coming into this community and saying, listen, you believe in Jesus, that's great. But to really be right with God, you also need to do this. And Paul says, no way. No, that's not what I've taught you. That's not the truth, that it is not a requirement to be right with God. Nothing Paul says that we do in our flesh, in our human form, in our body, can ever make us right with God. Not our heritage, not our accomplishments, not the, the good things and the rule following that we do. Nothing could make us right with God. Nothing that's of any human value, if that were true with God, but Paul says, if it were true, if that were true, then I especially would have a lot of room to boast in my humanity. And he goes on to explain that. And he says, I am a red-blooded Israelite. And if you like that's what when jewish people referred to themselves in this day as an israelite they were using that term in a way that was saying, like, man, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as Paul said. Like, I am the real deal. There was a lot of, of pride in that heritage. Paul says he was circumcised on the eighth day. That was the custom as a Jewish child to be circumcised on the eighth day. But he says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And if you read the Old Testament, when the kingdom of God split, there were only two tribes that stayed faithful to God during that split, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And those folks who were from those tribes took a ton of pride in saying, listen, when everything hit the fan, you knew who was still standing? The tribe, my people my people, my tribe, that's where I come from. Those are my ancestors. Paul says that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He knew the customs. He could speak the original language. He was the real deal. And he, but he, says, he goes on to say, I was also a Pharisee. And you know, the way that we talk about Pharisees today as we look back on it is that we talk about them in a not-so-good way, right? We kind of make fun of them. We point out a lot of the fallacies in their thinking and in their living. But in that day, you were respected if you were a Pharisee. You were considered the best Jew if you were a Pharisee. And Paul says, I was a Pharisee. I was highly respected Paul's heritage, his accomplishments were a source of real pride, real identity for him. Paul looked at these things, the way that he kept the law, the way that he was faithful to Judaism, even to the extent that he was persecuting and killing people who were opposed to this. He said, this was my identity. This was an advantage to me. This was something of value to me. This opened doors for me. This garnered lots of respect for me. But Paul even took that into his relationship with God, that his law keeping, that being the best Jew right with God. He says, in my view, that was making myself right with God. I was trying to get in good with God. Look at verse 7 with me. But whatever gain I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul makes a staggering confession here. For anyone who had known him, Anyone who had been associated with his former life, what he says right here would have been unthinkable. That all of the things that he once counted and viewed as assets, that he once saw as as so valuable, his heritage, his accomplishment, that these things were so core to his identity, he says, I have come to realize that they were in fact worth nothing that they were of no value, not in and of themselves, but compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says, I look at all of these things, and I came to the place where I saw them as not advantages, but actually disadvantages to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul had a false hope. That all these things that he was doing were making him right with God, were giving him the life that he desired, what he thought God wanted of him, but he said they were actually hindering me from truly having the relationship with God. Jesus, transly wanted. Knowing Jesus, being with Jesus, transformed Paul's life. What Paul is saying here is that I traded nothing for something. I traded nothing for something. I want you to look at those verbs there in verse seven and in verse eight, because this is important. We don't often get into the languages here on Sunday morning, but I want to explain these things because I think that this is really, really key to understanding what Paul is truly saying. That verb counted If you look at it in the Greek, it is in the perfect tense. And that perfect tense is a tense that refers to an action completed in the past that produces a state of being in the present. An action that was done in the past that produces a state of being in the present. What Paul is saying here is that at one point I counted Everything that I once considered an advantage, that I once considered of immense value to my life, I counted it loss in order to gain Christ. And then he follows that up by saying, I count everything loss compared to knowing Jesus. What Paul is saying here is this, that that counting is not over and done with that the realization that Paul came to, with the help of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit, of seeing that those things that he counted so worth, worthy, and so valuable, at one point, that realization that they were lost is still a reality that he lived in in the present. It's still something that mattered to him now. And I don't think what he's saying is, I miss my Pharisee days. I miss the the good old days when I was persecuting the church. I think what Paul is saying here, here is those same temptations to put my identity in my accomplishments, to put my identity in my heritage, are still present today. What I counted loss back then, I still have to count loss today, being an apostle. The accomplishments as an evangelist and a church planter. Those times when pride and performance snuck back into his relationship with God. Paul says, I counted those lost and I still count those things lost compared to knowing Jesus. This is why that phrase, let the past stay in the past, is not reality. And it's not helpful for us at all because we live in the reality of past, present, and future all at once. And I want to come back, I want to come back to that here in a few minutes and unpack that a little bit more. Paul is saying here, I want to know Jesus. When compared to my past accomplishments, I want to know Jesus. When I dwell and am tempted to live in my past failures. I want to know Jesus. When my family ties and my heritage pull me back in, I want to know Jesus. When my insecurities flare up over and over again, I want to know Jesus. When my experiences, the good things that I've experienced, the bad things that I've experienced, the hurt that's been done to me tries to rule my reality, I want to know Jesus. Everything is a loss. So Paul can truly know Jesus. None of these things define Paul. And none of these things define us as followers of Jesus either. Knowing Jesus defines us. Being like Jesus is what our life is about. And Paul, as we move down in this passage, tells us how this is possible. How do we truly become like Jesus? Look back with me, or look forward with me in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. First, Paul tells us that being like Jesus requires resurrection power. Being like Jesus requires resurrection power. Paul uses the metaphor of being dead a lot in his letters to describe our spiritual state apart from God. And what he means by that is that nothing we could do could ever make ourselves undead. There was no amount of hard work. There's no amount of law keeping. There's no amount of passion or zeal that could take us out of being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. But God made us alive in Jesus through the resurrection of Jesus. The same power. Listen to this. Romans 8 verse 11. Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. And what Paul is saying, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has made you alive and is continuing to make you alive in God. So there is no way that we can be like Jesus apart from the power that raised Jesus from the dead hear me say this. Jesus does not play by the rules of this world. Jesus does not play by the rules of this world. Jesus doesn't say, believe in yourself and you can become like me. Jesus doesn't say, grit your teeth and you can become like me. Jesus doesn't say, just get over your past, and then you can become like me. Jesus says, come to me and come face to face with the resurrected Messiah. Last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes we swing from one end to another with Jesus, that we can go all about, hey, Jesus is the Messiah that can transform and can shape, and we ignore the way that Jesus lived and the way that he taught, which is not good. But then we can go to the other end, and we can just look at the things that Jesus taught and the way that we live, and we can say, listen, if we just follow that, If we just mimic Jesus, if we just do what he did and pay attention to what he taught, then life will be okay, and we can truly be what God wants us to be. But Paul is saying here, no, we need the resurrection power of Jesus to undergo the transformation that we all want which is to be like Jesus. So being like Jesus requires resurrection power. Paul goes on, being like Jesus also requires sharing in his sufferings. Sharing in his sufferings. Paul was in jail when he wrote this letter. Paul had experienced, you can read elsewhere, a myriad of physical suffering. Because of his relationship with Jesus. And because of what God had called him to do to preach the gospel. Suffering comes because of the opposition of this world, of the devil, and of our own flesh to the new life that we have in Jesus. The spirit is at war with our flesh. The spirit is at war with the residue of that death that we had experienced. The spirit is at war with the things that we encounter day after day after day because we live in a world that is still ruled by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. We are still in this mortal body, but just like Paul said back in Romans 8 that the spirit who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul is saying, I want to share in these sufferings physically and in any other way that I suffer because of my identification with Jesus. Now, most of us in this room will never experience physical persecution because of our faith in Jesus Christ, like Paul did. But think about this. Think of the pain that you experience, because you live in a broken world, that you are hurt, that you are taken advantage of, that you are persecuted, because you know that this is not the way it should be. You know that this is not the world that God intended. You know that this is not the world that God has promised to us for the rest of eternity. A world under his righteous rule and perfect reign. And we experience suffering because we're living as people who know that's not the way it should be, but are experiencing the way it is right now. Think about the own, your own sin the things that war in your body in your mind in your spirit in your feelings the things that continually push you away from Jesus and promise you life promise you happiness, promise you satisfaction, the things that every single day we wake up and we have to choose to say no to. Think about the war and the suffering that goes with that, having to live in that reality of people who are new, who are made alive, but still live in a body that's perishing, that's a body that's dying. Being like Jesus requires sharing in his suffering, Facing these things head on, acknowledging that they're real, acknowledging that they're there and not trying to run from them, not trying to pretend that they don't exist. Suffering exposes us and God can and will use it to bring about the life that he wants for us. He can use it to bring us face to face with the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. Being like Jesus requires resurrection power. Being like Jesus requires sharing in his suffering. And finally, Paul says that being like Jesus requires becoming like him in his death. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You remember if you were here over our summer months, we worked through uh, the, the the kind of last words of Jesus to his closest friends, to his disciples, before he went to the cross, John chapters thirteen through seventeen and over and over we see Jesus. I At mean, nauseam, saying this one thing that he denied using his own power for his own purposes, because he was holy about what his father 's will to glorify his father, to do his father 's will, to be faithful and to be obedient to what his father had sent him. To do, And when we think about becoming like Jesus in his death, it is our realization and our commitment each and every day that our life is no longer about our own power and our own strength directed towards our own purposes. But it's about Jesus's power in us directed to the life that Jesus desires for us. And that is a daily thing. That's why Jesus told the folks that were following him, if you are really serious about this, it means denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me every day. It means making that decision with the power of the Spirit to say no to my own strength, To say no to my own purposes and my own desires and say yes to what God desires for me. Following the way of Jesus. We die to ourselves in that we give up all of these things in our past, all of our accomplishments, all of our strengths in the present, and we say yes to being identified With Jesus, that our lives are so identified with Jesus that when we see ourselves, when we think about ourselves, we see ourselves and we think about ourselves through the lens of Jesus Himself. Some of you are familiar with Augustine of Hippo, and he said this You, Jesus, are more intimate to me than I am to myself. You are deeper in me than I am in myself. That we are so identified with Jesus that, as Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but my identity is in Jesus who lives in me. Let's close by reading verses 12 through 15 here. Paul lays this out and says, this is what I want. I want to know Jesus. And in verse 12, he says, but not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says, I want to know Jesus completely. I want Jesus to have transformed me in my whole person, in my thoughts, in my feelings, in my choices, in my body, in the way that I relate to other people. That is what I want, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. That's not true about me. Man, that should be refreshing to us this morning, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be there. And oftentimes I convince myself, I'm there. And then multiple times a day, I get punched in the face and realize that I'm not there. I'm not there. Paul says, I haven't obtained this. This is not true of me yet, but this is what I'm moving towards. This is what my eyes are set on to make it my own. To make what? What is he talking about here? A life defined and completely shaped by Jesus. Set apart for Jesus's purpose. Paul says in, uh, wrote in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that we are all God's workmanship. God's created us, brand new people in Christ Jesus and has set us apart for good works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. God has made us people for his own pleasure, For his own purpose. He has made us people to experience life in the way that we really want to experience. And Paul says, that is what I'm striving for. That is what I'm moving towards. That's what I want to grab a hold of because that is why Jesus has grabbed a hold of me. I want to make that my own because he has made me his own. Own. And when he says I'm forgetting what behind what he's not saying is that I'm forgetting everything of who I am. I'm forgetting my family and my heritage. I'm, I'm forgetting my accomplishments. I'm forgetting my experiences and my interests that those things don't matter anymore. He's not saying that. He's not saying that his story doesn't matter. He's not saying that his giftings and his interests do not matter. But what he is saying is this, that he has become so identified with Jesus that those things don't become hindrances anymore. Like the writer of Hebrews said, throw off every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us so that we can run, so that we can pursue Jesus and the life that Jesus has for us. And so Paul says here, I forget those things in the sense that they don't rule me anymore. They aren't my identity anymore. They don't define me anymore. They are part of who I am, but they are defined by Jesus. They are part of who I am, but they are ruled by Jesus. And when I think about them, what I feel about them, the choices I make because of them and in relationship to them, all of that is defined and permeated and filled up by Jesus Christ. They aren't primary in my life anymore. Jesus gives things shape to how we think and how we feel. Jesus gives shape to our purpose and our goals and our ambitions. Jesus shapes the way that we treat others. And Paul says, if you are mature, this is the way that you will think. If you are mature, you will think this way. Maturity isn't having it all together. Maturity isn't saying the right things and knowing the right answers. Maturity isn't being sinless. Maturity is moving towards Jesus, one foot in front of the other, trusting in his power, his resurrection power to make us like him. And that takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. And we're going to get into the particulars. This is our vision series. We're kind of laying out the big picture here. And as we move forward into this year, we're going to get into the particulars about how do we do this? How can we dig into our story and realize that there are things about me and how I grew up and my family and, and my insecurities and just patterns and lies that I believe that I need to confront, that I need to acknowledge, and that I need the transformation of Jesus to take hold of so that I can forget those things, that I can lay those things aside and pursue Jesus with all of who I am. So we're going to talk about those things. But listen, I want to encourage you this morning that being like Jesus is not something that Jesus expects you to do on your own. Being like Jesus is, in the ways that you desire to be like Jesus is not your primary responsibility. As we've talked, your responsibility is to abide, to stay, to stay connected to the vine, to be with Jesus. And as you are with Jesus, Jesus will begin to produce in you who he is, and the fruit that he desires. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and to take a piece of the bread and to dip it in the cup. We have stations up here in the front. We'll have a gluten-free station in the back for those who need it. And as you come, come in this same mindset that Paul had, that you come here because of the blood and the body of Jesus. That your relationship with God is not because you've been good, because you've done everything that God wants you to do, because you grew up in a certain family or attended a certain church, but you can stand here right with God because of what Jesus has done for you, not your accomplishment, what Jesus accomplished. So come in thankfulness, Come in humility. Come and accept the grace of God and let that begin to work in you. And let that context of living in the reality that God loves you. He deeply, deeply loves you. Begin to define who you are. If you're not a Christian this morning, there's nothing magic about this. This doesn't get you in good with God. There's nothing special about the bread or the juice. This is a symbol. This is something that we do together because it reflects who we are and reflects where our hope is. And so you can stay in your seat. There's no judgment. There's nobody that's going to be trying to get you to do something. But we would love as a church to talk to you about what it looks like to be someone whose hope is in the accomplishment of Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection to make us right with God. Pray with me. Jesus, we acknowledge this morning that we are people who want to do good. We're people who want to treat other people well. We're people who want to experience good things in our lives and not pain and not hurt. We don't want to hurt people that we love. We don't want to take advantage of people because of our own selfishness. But God, in that, we acknowledge that no amount of trying hard to not do those things, that trying hard to be good people, to be people that please you, that none of that can ever bring about the transformation that we truly, truly desire. And I pray that we would be individuals. I pray that we would be a church community, that when the world out there looks at us, that they would not see people who are just a bunch of holy rollers and self-righteous people because we think we have it all together and we don't have any problems, but that they would experience us as people who are humbled by our own sin, humbled by our own weakness, and people that every moment of every day cling to the grace of God, knowing that true transformation is is not because of how skilled we are, how much we know, or how good we are, but is through your spirit living in us and through us. I pray as we take communion together that we would recognize that we are here because of you, that we are loved by you, and that you will never, ever leave us, and you will never forsake us, but you will continue to do the work that you have started in us. We pray that with hope. And we pray that with comfort and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.